coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Tuesday. It is Tuesday. It's been such a long day today, y'all. I, I, I feel like it's Thursday already. It's Tuesday, and uh, thank you for tuning in to The Ron Show. I do appreciate that. My guest uh, today is Randy Fair who uh, we've had on before, he authored the book Southern Gay Teacher, and it's quite a read. He's also penned a new opinion piece, and uh, I'm going to let him explain why he was prompted, actually, from other people to write this. Uh, But Randy, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about this subject. So you were uh, you were kind of prodded into writing this piece from from educators who were still in the field and uh, knew you had some expertise and experience in being a, an out gay teacher and it's it's hard to believe that in 2023 that this is still something that is worrisome. In fact, something you wrote in this uh, opinion piece that is uh, on the site otherwords.org really kind of floored me. The uh, the piece where you talked about the was it, the Stonewall National Education Project had their annual meeting, and folks were so scared in today's climate to show up to this symposium. Attendance was sparse, and people were still showing up with masks on their faces. In 2023? Yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, that's the kind of thing you see uh, by teachers in gay pride parades back in the 80s and 90s. Um, And, you know, it's hard to believe that we're going back 40 years, uh, you know, in time for these things. Uh, It's really sad, a really sad thing to see. It's funny. I have a a teammate on a a softball team I play on, and she's not even gay. She just plays on a team in a gay league, and she has to be careful about what she's posting on Facebook or, or tagged in a post on Facebook from other people because she's a teacher in a public school system in the exurbs of Atlanta, Georgia in 2023. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, one reason that I wanted to write the article that you were talking about is because I've had teachers throughout the South who have contacted me and said that they were either uh, being threatened with being fired or at, some have, who have actually been fired. Uh, and again, it's just, uh, it's very sad. And I, I can't believe we're back in this spot again. And we're not talking uh, about teachers in parochial schools either, necessarily. No, these are public school teachers. All the teachers that have contacted me are in the public school. Um, so, you know, and, you know, like I said, it's just a uh, crazy situation. Uh, For example, one teacher is the sponsor of a GSA group, and I don't want to say what state this is in or identify the teacher in any way, but the teacher uh, had the students do a very well-researched activity that they're doing all throughout the country in GSA groups, Mm -hmm. and uh, the students were so happy about it that they posted it on Instagram Uh and um, somebody called into the school. And the next thing that, you know, that happened is this teacher got called in by the HR department and uh, was being threatened for doing this activity, despite the fact that the teacher had plenty of research to back up why this was a, a, a good activity to do. So, um, you know, it's, 
just a, you know, a crazy time right now in education. Any clue what that activity was? I'm so curious now. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I should have probably stated that. I wasn't sure we, we were allowed to know. I didn't want to. <laughs> well, there's an activity that they're doing in a lot of GSA groups now where the kids will take um, gingerbread people mm-hmm. and they will color them in and uh, as the way that they identify okay. and will say what pronouns they would like to use and okay. uh, and how they would like to be identified. And apparently this was, uh, to someone, was just a horrible activity that was worthy of the teacher being fired uh, for carrying this out. So, um, you know, like I said, it seems not to be that controversial once you actually see what the activity is. But, but, you know, um, there are people now that want, and a lot of them don't even have kids, want to be so involved in the school system and try to just rid the school of any mention of LGBTQ people. And, you know, they're getting upset and uh, really going to extremes. um, And it's, you know, hurting teachers, not to mention kids as well. We are on with the author of Southern Gay Teacher. His name is Randy Fair, taught in Atlanta Public Schools, uh, Fulton County, uh, for many years. Now lives in Florida, which is not exactly a bastion for <laughs> liberalism and progressivism uh, in and of itself. Do you have your house on the market? I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I actually live in a little gay town, um, Wilton Manor. Oh, I love Wilton. Uh, yeah, and that's actually where the uh, Stonewall Museum is, just right down the road from us. The and they're the group that had the the symposium that you were just talking about, and the attendance was way down this year because the teachers in Florida were afraid to come to the symposium because they didn't want to anybody to find out and go back to their school and, and find out that they had been fired for attending the conference, so despite your, the fact that they've gone in past years. You uh, mentioned in the piece uh, that uh, back in 1978, uh, the, the Briggs Initiative, uh, you, you wrote, sought to ban gay teachers from California school system, California of all places. And that even back in 1978, this is how far the conservative movement has moved. Even back in 1978, Ronald Reagan was not for banning gay teachers. Are we regressing as a society? I mean, I feel like I'm thinking, I'm talking about like how groovy the early 1930s were in Berlin. And then we all know what happened after that. Are are we regressing? What's happening? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I I don't think this is all that unexpected because you usually do have uh, a backlash. And um, Susan Faludi wrote a book about women's rights and um, it's actually called Backlash, mm-hmm. where she talked about how all the progress that was made in the 70s, um, once the 80s came along, you started having people um, trying to undermine that effort mm. of advancement on the part of women. And I think that's the same thing we're seeing now is a lot of people have seen the advancements that LGBTQ people have made. And they resent that. And now there um, is this just harsh backlash where they're just going overboard to attack, Mm. especially transgender people, um, but, you know, the whole community as well. 
Speaking of, uh, here locally, we have, in fact, the the media chatter about this has been so muted, so quiet since it broke in early April that I, I'm not bragging. I, I think it's sad that I'm about the only person in Atlanta still talking about the fact that a vice chairman of the Cherokee County School Board was booted from an event in California. WrestleCon, for God's sakes. This was not exactly uh, a tree-hugger, liberal, progressive venue or established uh, you know, collection of people here was was booted from WrestleCon because he was spewing transphobic and even homophobic slurs to Giselle Shaw in front of witnesses, several witnesses. The, the, the event kicked him out, so they obviously had some, some credence to do that. And yet, uh, coming home, Rob Recksteiner has faced no repercussions from this. Have you, have, had you even heard about this story? I had heard that story, and I hate to say that I think... Um... You know, I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but I think in Cherokee County that this could have um, the effect of making him even more popular and winning more votes there. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an NBC story out today about a uh, a school system in the suburbs of Dallas, and the conservatives there— are now going to the point where they are saying in their campaign that they will place a copy of the Ten Commandments in every classroom and bring back school prayer to the uh, to the school day. And um, mm. so, you know, I think uh, unfortunately, in a lot of places, um, that kind of the kind of thing he did might be even helpful to some of these politicians. Yeah, but I'm so. a little, I'm a little disturbed again. You know, he's a former wrestler, like a, a famous former wrestler. So uh, so there's that. But he's also like a, a local uh, real estate agent, and uh, there's just been nothing from the media on the local end. I've even I've tweeted, I have emailed folks that covered the story when it broke because it hit TMZ, it hit all the national tabloids, and so of course the local media hits on it then. But it happened the week that the school system was on spring break, so they got no comment. And then they went back for no comment after the fact. There was a school board meeting on the 20th of April. And by golly, the the, the Democratic Party up there, as is, 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 is small as they may be, they, they had some presence there. There were four or five parents as well who showed up to speak out. But nothing was said. Nothing was done. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, one of the problems that I think in this whole issue is it's hard to get people um, interested in this topic because they don't feel like it directly affects them. Until it does. Yeah, right, right. But, you know, um, a, a lot of people, you know, they, you know, they think, oh, my school days are over, so I don't care who's on the school board or, um, you know, and uh, conservatives, of course, have become very interested in it. But on the Democratic side or the liberal side, we really haven't gotten involved in the way that we should um, in these school board elections. And uh, as you said, and pointing out these things and bringing them up and making them more well-known, you know, um, the good thing is at least they did uh, kick him out of the, the WrestleCon convention. <laughs> so, you know, some people you know, are paying attention, you know, so 
that's progress, I think, from an earlier time period. It's funny. I was talking to a parent of a trans student who has graduated from that school system, has another LGBTQ child in the school system. And while she is all, you know, all on this and showed up at that meeting, I asked, I said, do you think the kids even know what happened or are they maybe oblivious to this or, you know, do, do many trans or, or, or gay kids in the school system not even know the story exists? Because at the same time, while local media is not covering it, maybe local kids don't hear about it either. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as somebody who was a teacher, the you really don't interact with the school board members that mm-hmm. much and, you know, students even less so. Yeah. So I think, you know, people don't understand that, yes, they're there making these policies. They just kind of don't understand where the policies come from. So, you know, I think we need to get more involved and, make people more aware of the role that the school boards do have in, in pushing all these ideas. More with Randy Fair, author of the book, Southern Gay Teacher, after the break on The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Welcome back to the Tuesday Ron Show. We're on with the author of Southern Gay Teacher, former Atlanta Fulton County public school teacher, Randy Fair. Thank you for joining us. I wanted to ask you about this new movement here throughout the state of Georgia. We've got Republicans now looking to take words out of Georgia state teacher preparedness, uh, trying to remove words like diversity and equity and inclusiveness and changing verbiage. Have you followed this story much to even make sense of this? Well, I think they're following the example that we've unfortunately set in Florida here where they've already done a lot of those things. One of the things I've talked to people about, you know, and this is maybe a little bit different than what you're pointing out here, but my niece, who is a librarian, Mm. is terrified of ordering books because she doesn't know if she orders the wrong book here in Florida, she could be charged with a felony offense. And they have tried to do away with all the diversity inclusion things here. And I guess Georgia is kind of following that example But, you know, as somebody who grew up in Weaver, Alabama in the 1970s, Mm. uh, you know, I can really say that representation matters and we need more of it, not less of it. You know, my uh, life was really changed by a teacher that I had in the eighth grade who was new to the school Mm -hmm. and students will make up stories about teachers, of course. And so there were a couple of rumors about this teacher, and one of them was at the time they used the word homosexual, that maybe he was homosexual because he wasn't married. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I was hoping that he was because this was just such a great teacher, and he was so meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote about in my book about a few teachers that had a huge impact on me. And um, before the book came out, one of them, Mrs. Bryan, was about to die. So I sent the copies of the part about Weaver to her daughter, Missy, so that she could see them before she died, because I knew she, the, the book wouldn't come out in time. And um, I asked Missy later, I said, you know, did the part about Weaver, did I remember things correctly? And she said, well, Randy, the part about my mother, that's Mrs. Bryan, mm-hmm. and about Connie Williams were spot on. But she said, the part about Mr. Fincher, 
he's actually straight. <laughs> and uh, the reason I'm saying that story is because <laughs> I was so desperate for any kind of role model right. that I, in my mind, had somehow transformed this straight teacher into a gay one, I guess, because it made me feel more comfortable. And, you know, that's why I think it's so important that we don't strip the diversity and inclusion out of the curriculum. Is it possible that that particular teacher was just such a cool teacher and, and, and didn't seem to outwardly give off any inference that he may have cared about a student's sexuality that you just felt comfortable in his presence? Uh, I think what it was is he was just so different from anybody I had known in Weaver, Alabama, gotcha. because he loved to read. I was, I got myself elected to the student council because I knew he was the sponsor of it. And he had a Christmas party at his house and um, he had books everywhere, uh, which was kind of unusual for a male in Alabama in that town, I would say. And, uh, you know, he's very athletic and, you know, there were things about him that just weren't that typical. So I think that that's how it allowed me to sort of transform him in my mind as someone who was um, who would be accepting of me and uh, who gave me I used him as kind of a role model, even though it turns out that it was not an accurate one. It's just a little alarming to me to hear that teachers going into the profession are going to have words like diversity and equity and inclusiveness shielded from their eyes as if that's going to somehow diseducate them from knowing what those words mean or what these standards mean when they say different instead of diverse. I think back to a teacher that I know. Uh, she is a, a conservative Christian female who uh, approached me once because she was concerned, I guess, when her one of her own daughters said to her that she might be bisexual. And she handled it in such a way different, contrary, than I thought she would have, based on how I just described her. Conservative, Christian, rural Georgian, and yet she came to me because she knew who I was and knew that I was gay and knew I might have some insights on how best to handle this. I feel as if folks are in these positions in state government, but they don't give those of us on the ground the credit we deserve for being smart enough to know crap when we see it, that they're forcing into doctrine. Yeah, I think they're trying to appease a very small segment of their base yeah. voters. So they're really going to extremes because I've had the same thing that you just described happen many times where mm. somebody I thought would maybe be against me because I perceived them a certain way mm -hmm. and then found out that actually, no. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the things I was talking about with my teachers that I had in high school because, you know, it was a very conservative community, mm -hmm. but there were still some teachers there who accepted kids regardless of their own personal views. And uh, I think that's what you want in the school system. And that needs to be promoted more, that mm -hmm. kind of attitude, instead of stripping this out, as you said, from the teacher training. It's uh, you know, a very sad time, but I think teachers will find a way around it 
many times if they don't just leave the profession because they're getting so frustrated with various aspects of it. Well, I would say, you know, we're dealing with college educated individuals, but in Florida, we've seen that you don't even have to have a college education to teach now. Yeah. And even in colleges, they're trying to do away with these I don't know if you know, but a professor here was just fired because he included a unit about racial equity <laughs> in his curriculum. And a parent, not the student, but a parent of this college student complained about it. And his contract was not renewed because of that. Unreal. Randy Fair, author of the book, Southern Gay Teacher. It's out on paperback. You can catch that at Amazon. And we're also going to get your opinion piece from uh, otherwords.org in our show notes today at ronshowatl.com. Randy, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, don't just listen to The Ron Show. Support The Ron Show. If you and your business would like to have your advertising done on this show, you know, it's pretty easy. You can drop me an email, ron at ronshowatl.com. You can also call me 404-919-2725. You can also just be a listener. If you don't have a business, I mean, that would be most of you, right? Follow us on your preferred podcast platform by following any of the links we've got provided for you there on the podcast tab at ronshowatl.com. Follow The Ron Show on Facebook at The Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. One of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans. First of all, it's a sports movie. You can pretty much put anything in front of me sports-wise. And I'll watch, I even watched The Slugger's Wife. I mean, mostly because it was one of the few movies that was based in Atlanta at the time, featured the Braves, had the TBS announcers, the old Braves uniform. But that was a terrible movie. I mean, for being honest, it was a terrible sports. I still watched it. Uh, if it, If it came on some fringe cable channel, I'd probably sit down and watch it again just to reminisce. I do kind of miss the old Braves uniforms and Fulton County Stadium, and I definitely miss the uh, voice of Skip Carey, who was featured prominently in that movie. Okay, let me get back to Remember the Titans. Uh, Denzel Washington's uh, reprising the role of a coach who got the head coaching job at a newly integrated school, T.C. Williams, in the 1970s in Virginia. And in one scene, he's taking on, I think it's a playoff game, he's taking on a mostly white school uh, from, I would presume, rural Virginia, uh, with an all-white football team, and as they clashed in this key game, the referees were purposely missing calls, purposely missing penalties, and purposely calling penalties against the integrated football team. You know, kind of making a statement. Now, I don't know the veracity of the story of that, historically speaking, but I do know that that movie is even just loosely based on a true story. The whole point I bring that movie scene up is because there is somewhat of a similar story playing out or has played out on the soccer pitch in Rome, Georgia. And the Georgia High School Athletic Association is acting as if we didn't see anything. The officials obviously are acting as if they didn't see or hear anything. Let me give you the backstory. Paideia High School will be playing tonight for the state soccer championship. I believe they play at 7.30. I'll get to who and what division, all that stuff in a little bit. Anyway, Paideia was playing Armucci recently, and according to Paideia players and coaches and parents, they heard racial slurs being lobbed on the pitch, on the field, that somehow the referees didn't hear. 
Let me give you a little bit of a backstory here. The AJC reports on this. The head of the state's athletic governing body said that uh, Armucci High School, whose players were accused of lobbing racial slurs at Paideia players during last week's state semifinal match, would not face any sanctions. Robin Hines, the executive director of the GHSA, says we are following our rules and going by the game report and officials. Ejections are not reviewable. Here's the thing. One of the Paideia players reacting to the racial slurs actually did draw a red card and isn't going to get to play tonight. Now, does that seem fair to you? Anyway, there are accusations that Armucci players used racial slurs at Paideia players. It didn't seem to affect the outcome of that match. And maybe the slurs came out in some sort of an emotional outburst because of the lopsidedness, the lopsided nature of the match. Now, the refs were made aware that players heard the slurs. And Robin Hines with the GHSA telling the AJC says the officials did not hear anything. It was reported to them, but they did not hear it. If they had heard it, they would have sanctioned it. All we can do is go by what the evidence shows. I'm a little blown away that in 2023, with everybody carrying a recording device on their person, in their pocket or purse, somebody didn't catch this. Or that a playoff soccer match wasn't being videoed in the first place. I have to think, <clears throat> I mean, this is how it works in baseball anyway. They you know, have coaches atop the press box recording video. Somebody doesn't have video of this? So anyway, the GHSA uh, decided there's nothing they can do about it because nobody reported it that was wearing a referee's uniform. So in last Friday's semifinal game, according to the AJC, which, by the way, Paedia won, Five to nothing. I mean, that is a that's a that's a soccer beatdown. Uh, parents, players, and school administrators say the win came amid a barrage of racial slurs from players on the other team. Now, there are some recollections from parents that talk about how rough the the play on the field even was, but then it got personal. Uh, Tia Alvarez Smith, whose son is a sophomore on the team, said it's unbelievable and heartbreaking that your child has to experience this during one of the most important times of their career and for it to be tainted by abject racism. None of us were prepared for that. It is horrible to have your child be demoralized when they're supposed to be celebrating. She went on to say, uh, she and other parents said that their sons, aside from the rough play, were called the N-word several times. Complaints were met with yellow cards, and one of Paetia's top players was hit with a red card, making him ineligible to play in tonight's final. In a letter to the Paidia community, the athletic director, Mike Emery, said the team, quote, did their best to navigate a high-stakes game against players using hostile tactics. He wrote, our boys' team was subjected to racial taunts by players on the opposing team, resulting in heated emotional and physical behavior on the field. Paidia players, parents, and coaches left the game upset and disappointed, which added to the heavy emotions we have been feeling all week. The AJC goes on to report in this letter, Emory said he had, quote, contacted the Georgia High School Association to report the incidents. The school said in a statement, according to the AJC, or given to the AJC, that it is, quote, working through the proper channels to register our complaints with the Georgia High School Association. The Paetia School is focusing on our students and athletes right now, according to Paetia's head of school in a statement. His name is Paul Bianchi. Now, Robin Hines back at the GHSA said it's simply not tolerated at all under the code of sportsmanship, but it has to be proven or documented. 
And again, you have piety of school administrators, coaches, players, parents, all who somehow managed to hear it. But the referees on the pitch, right there between the players, didn't hear it. I just find that curious. And again, it reminded me of Remember the Titans. Sule and Natalie Carpenter have a son on the Paiatia team. Sule said, I'm extremely disappointed that in 2023, my son had to experience that level of racism and bigotry. He deserves better. He left the field feeling defeated. Instead of celebrating his victory during the car ride home, we had to have a long discussion about racism. The behavior of your players reflects poorly on your school, its administration, staff, students, and their families. He said this in a letter that he wrote to Armucci High School and the chairman of the Floyd County School Board. In response, the Armucci principal, Joseph Pethel, wrote back, I want to start by apologizing for the need of your difficult conversation in place of the excitement of winning and advancing to the state championship game. We take these issues seriously and will continue to investigate and make sure that appropriate actions are taken for all involved. We wish Paiatia School the best as you all move forward in the state tournament. And by the way, Paiatia, again, playing the Atlanta International School for the 1A Division 1 Boys Soccer State Championship tonight at 7.30 in Macon, Georgia. Of course I'll let you know how that match turns out. Can't possibly get you emotionally involved in that story and not tell you tomorrow how that match turns out. Good luck, Paiatia. And Atlanta International School, too. And by the way, hat tip to Ernie Suggs at the AJC for covering that story. While also scanning the AJC today, the jolt is uh, the, the, the daily start to my scanning for what to discuss. And uh, Greg Bluestein and Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and the staff at the AJC always put together nice little nuggets of what's going on politically. The one that left off the page for me today is the same thing that will probably give me sleepless nights until... Election results are announced after the November 2024 cycle. On the Republican side, polls and interviews show former President Donald Trump, according to today's Jolt in the AJC, with strong support from the party's grassroots, even as GOP leaders and key activists urge the party faithful to leave him behind. At the same time, Democratic leaders are rallying behind President Joe Biden's re-election bid, even as many in the party's base indicate they're worried about the 80-year-old's second-term campaign. Do you hear my hand raised? I'm a little concerned about it myself. Ron DeSantis has a narrow edge over Biden in a hypothetical matchup in the battleground state of Georgia. And listen, off script here, we all know Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania. Those are going to be the battlegrounds again. So let me read that to you again. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has a narrow edge over Biden in a hypothetical matchup in the battleground state of Georgia, according to the poll. Trump in a neck-and-neck race against Joe Biden. DeSantis is not an official candidate for president, but he has been raising his national profile and is widely expected to enter the race. Now, this was a GOP firm that did the poll, public opinion strategies, but they showed Ron DeSantis with a 46-41 lead over Biden. Well, that's not a narrow lead. That's a lead. That's a 5% lead. That is not narrow. In the same poll, and by the way, it's only 500 registered voters. I kind of like polls with a thousand or more. Uh, it was done between April 25th, 27th. So nothing major has happened since then to really sway anybody. Biden was at 43%, Trump at 42%. Whew, that's super slim. Obviously within the polls margin of error, 
percentage point being the margin. Uh, there were some other nuggets in that polling. DeSantis ran better than Trump in this hypothetical matchup uh, amongst white voters, independent voters, Metro Atlanta residents, and Georgians age 65 and older. Uh, still inside the jolt here. Among the 13% of voters who disapprove of both Biden and Trump, the former president trails Biden by seven percentage points. So I think, I guess what they're saying is if they chose between the 13% of voters, there's a seven percentage point gap if you split that by 100%, right? Is that, is that I'm guessing? I guess what I'm saying is maybe that's like a 53-46 of the 13%. My mind is going to mush and I'm thinking about Miss Bailey and algebra class all over again. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I definitely don't think that that means that Joe Biden has a, of that 13%, it's like a 9%, 2%, and 2%. See, I don't think that's it. And let me think outside the box and outside that poll just a little bit. Here it is, 2023. We're thinking, like, what are we like, 16 months ahead? More than that? Yeah, we're 19 months ahead of Election Day here. I would wager 19 months before the 2016 election, there were probably a lot of hypothetical Hillary versus Jeb Bush matchups in polling. How did that play out? I guess what I'm saying is this is a little bit of a gamble. It's like sitting at a card table and you, you know the hand you have and you like the hand. It's a pretty good hand, but you don't know what else is on the table behind everyone else's deck of cards. We have no idea that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee in 2024 for the GOP. We have no idea that it's going to be Ron DeSantis. We know that both of them have a lot of kinks in their armor. There's a lot of damage on both of those vessels. Will they make it to port before sinking? I don't know. Ron DeSantis is like the right-wing Howard Dean right now. How did Howard Dean do? Remember that? Was it 2004 cycle? One scream, done. Uh, if I'm the Democratic Party, I have to find the sweet spot where I'm honoring the wishes and intents of the sitting president who happens to be the leader of your party. But don't you also have to be working on contingencies as well? And I don't mean for his health, although he's in his 80s, right? There has to be that consideration. Has to be. And I'm sure there is. There has to be somebody or a, a an assemblage of power brokers within the Democratic Party that get together once in a while in a windowless room with no, it gets the, the, they do the bug sweeps to make sure nobody's eavesdropping and they have these conversations about what if, what if this happens, what if that happens, da, 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 da. how does she poll, how does he poll, blah, 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 blah. We're thinking about, oh, here's how Biden looks against Ron DeSantis. Oh, this is how he looks against Donald Trump. And there's this sense of, we got this. But what if those two aren't on the ticket? Do you have a hypothetical against a Nikki Haley with a lot less baggage? A Tim Scott with a lot less baggage? Someone we don't even know could be Chris Christie, although he's got a lot of baggage. Although it's been so long since he's been in office, maybe it's forgotten baggage. Democrats need to be thinking contingencies. They also need to be thinking about bench because... Who's the next wave? We can't get Diane Feinstein to 
step down to fill her seat, get things passed right now. Because she's riddled with shingles? Is that it? There's whispers of dementia. Is that the other? Nancy Pelosi? Nancy Pelosi was pretty old when she even saw in the tea leaves, man, I'm getting kind of old. I need to step back and let the next generation come up. And it's Hakeem Jeffries, who's in his 50s. Where's the next generation on the on the left, y'all? Where's that bench strength? The right's done a lot of damage to the Pete Buttigieg types. AOC doesn't seem to have the appetite and has taken on a lot of damage. So who's the, where's the next generation? And is a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris ticket going up against maybe anybody other than Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump going to energize that under 30 vote that was so important to carrying them across the finish line in the midterms? There's going to be a lot of sleepless nights for those of us on the left between now and when we get the results after the 2024 election night. There just are. And the sad fact is a lot of it comes down to the sales pitch. Democrats haven't been really good at the sales pitch lately, have they? Back after this on The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Final segment for the Tuesday Ron Show. Such an interesting dichotomy, right, to see... <laughs> state of Georgia writing checks and just throwing them out at people. Here, take your money back. And yet, any thought of doing that on the federal level? No, cannot do. No, we've done enough of that. Too much of that, actually. That's what caused inflation. It's not what caused inflation. Corporate greed had a lot to do with inflation. A lot more to do with inflation than you and I having an extra $2,000 or maybe $4,000 total in our pockets over the course of a year and a half. Like, did that cause us to run out of microchips somehow? I don't really see that. <clears throat> Nonetheless, there's a uh, pretty smart piece written in the Washington Monthly by Robert Shapiro that basically insinuates that what we're seeing happening in Washington right now, this fight over the debt ceiling and the rights posturing right now, you know, they don't want to sign off on anything that doesn't come with budget cuts. And here we are on this like razor thin margin of the economy's doing good, the economy's doing okay, the economy's just getting by, and boom, we're in recession. I mean, it's just it's it's one of those things where you ever been that kid and you were leaning back on a bar stool and you kind of got yourself on the one leg of four, and I mean, all it takes is one wrong waiver, and boom, you're on the ground. That's kind of where our economy is right now. Like, you're sitting in that stool, it's pretty stable, but you're on one leg, and maybe you should put it back on at least two or all four. That's kind of where we are right now. So this piece in the Washington Monthly, I shared it at uh, Ron Show ETL on Twitter. Headline, the debt ceiling austerity and the economic challenges haunting President Biden's re-election bid. And the subhead, this is important. If the GOP forces a historic default or massive budget cuts, and those are really the only two options that they're giving Joe Biden right now, all bets are off for a soft landing, which we haven't even gotten there yet. Remember, they've been predicting this recession for more than a year now, and we're still, the economy's still fine. GDP growth has been slowing by quarter, but a lot of that has to do with businesses paying attention to this talk about recession while consumers are still spending money. Like consumer confidence is fine. We're still, you know, we're, we're still doing all right. We're, we're making it. Uh, anyway, that headline continues, all bets are off for a soft landing, 
or Democrats keeping the White House. Uh, This piece, Robert J. Shapiro writes in the Washington Monthly, begins, The latest reports on real growth and personal incomes issued last week by the Bureau of Economic Analysis include equally cautionary news for the economy and President Biden's prospects in 2024. Employment, income, consumer spending all remain strong despite sharply higher interest rates. But the economy is balanced on a knife's edge because businesses have been cutting back on investment and production. Well, I I said all that, although I didn't sound as smart when I said it, but I said that. Going to skip ahead in this piece a little bit. If businesses remain pessimistic, production will likely continue to fall. Companies will lay off more people. Total incomes could decline and consumer spending could stall and the economy could slip into recession by early 2024 or sooner. That could happen if the Fed continues to aggressively raise interest rates. Remember, the Fed is not Joe Biden. Joe Biden has no control over the Fed. Anyway, if the Fed continues to aggressively raise interest rates, confirming uh, business anxieties that already are affecting production. And then you have this political standoff where House Republicans in the White House are staring at each other trying to figure who's going to blink first. Biden, according to this piece, will rightfully blame the kamikaze MAGA Republicans for the carnage and broad public outcry almost certainly will force enough House Republicans to capitulate in short order. But presidents always bear political responsibility for the economy. Biden could be an easy target for Donald Trump and other Republican presidential hopefuls for not averting the crisis in subsequent downturn. And Joe is damned if he wins, damned, uh, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. The piece goes on. It's also possible, even likely, that GOP donors, governors, and public opinion will force House Republicans to blink and accept a clear debt limit, which they should just go ahead and do anyway. But they won't because politics, y'all. And since Biden has promised to try to cut a budget deal with McCarthy once a clear debt limit is approved, its passage will likely be tied to a side agreement to cut spending in the fall appropriations. The piece carries on. Robert J. Shapiro continues to write, That's also a treacherous course for the president. A similar scenario in 2011 forced Barack Obama to accept a major dose of austerity that kept growth low for years. This time, with growth already slowing, substantial cuts could tip the economy into recession as the president campaigns for re-election, and he won't be able to shift the blame to anyone else. I know I've doubted Joe before. Joe's been able to tap dance out of some messes. This is going to take some Pythagorean... (laughs) algorithmic, uh, Vulcan chess-like tap dance magic to come out of looking good. It just is. And to that end, we all know what the Republicans are doing. This has Republicans, in recent memory, I can't think of the last time Republicans were steadfastly for something that was good for the American public and good for the economy when they weren't in power. I can't remember anything that comes to mind. Literally, if something comes to mind, please let me know. 404-919-2725 at Ron Show ATL on Twitter. Remind me because I can't think of anything. Ron at ronshowatl.com if you want to email me. I can't think of anything that they did that was good for the country while they weren't in power. Something that they went along with while not in power because it was good for the country. I can't think of anything. No, this is all sabotage. They intend to sabotage a perilously... Good economy that, again, as Robert J. Shapiro wrote, is on the knife's edge, could go the wrong way with just one little, one little tuft of air. Is that something President Biden, running for re-election, can safely navigate? Or, as I've opined for a while now, 
Would it have been better for him to have been balls to the wall, guns a-blazing, one term, knowing he didn't need to run for re-election or worry about the repercussions of anything he said he was going to do while president, and then let that next generation step up? And where is that next generation? That's it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. You can hear all of today's show or any of the past episodes on the podcast platforms of your preference. You've got them all at ronshowatl.com. See you tomorrow.